The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Now, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's a masterful presentation of conditions for entering his kingdom. And we find this beautiful presentation. Jesus introduces this sermon and tells us that it's happiness that he's after. It is blessedness that he's offering because Jesus knows that's what the world is looking for. The world is looking for happiness. Everyone is searching for happiness, and you know our Declaration of Independence even says so. It says, in the pursuit of happiness. People want to know blessedness. People want to know blissfulness. People want to be happy, have meaning in their life, and be joyful, right? Have you met anyone saying, I don't want to be happy, I don't want to be joyful, I just want to be miserable all my time? Maybe there are some people like that. But the Lord Jesus Christ starts out and says, I'm offering you happiness. But the, this masterful presentation is not exactly what they were expecting. He's offering it in a way that's never been offered before. And we read in chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And, you know, people ask, are these truths how you get into the kingdom or how you live in the kingdom? And the answer is yes. In other words, to enter the kingdom, you must be poor in spirit, and as you live in the kingdom, you continue to recognize your spiritual poverty. And in order for, to enter the kingdom, you must mourn over your sin, and we talked about that. And the Bible tells us the godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, but the world sorrow, worldly sorrow of the world produces death. And as you continue living in the kingdom, as sons and daughters of God, you will mourn over your sin. And we talked about meekness. As you enter the kingdom of God, you must be meek. You must be teachable. You must have that power under control. And that attitude continues without pride as you continue. And today we're looking at verse 6. Matthew 5, 6. And it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Have you ever been really hungry? I'm not talking about just nibbling on something you go to the, you know, get some potato chips just to snack on. Like really hungry. My wife says to me, everything you do is always so extreme. You're like, you know, when I say I'm hungry, I'm like, I'm starving to death. And it kind of happens, you know, I'm not hungry, 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 but then 10 o'clock comes around when she's ready to go to bed, I'm like, make me a sandwich. I'm hungry. I'm starving to death. And once you enter the kingdom, folks, this hunger, thirst for righteousness, it continues. And this beatitude, this hunger, speaks of a very, very strong desire. It speaks of a driving pursuit and ambition, if you will. And ambition is a word that can be used in good and bad sense, right? When you're hungry, you can satisfy your hunger by eating donuts or eating something with substance, and it will, you know, satisfy your body. And, but, you know, 
then you got to be ready for the consequences, right? Doctors tell us we are what we eat. So most of our health, believe it or not, is directly related to our diet, what we put in our mouths. And there are a lot of things that people strive for and pursue for and have a passion for, this ambition, hunger, and they want to see it fulfilled. It's so strong. But sometimes desires are perverted. That is, we go about them in the wrong way, right? Trying to lose weight, eat healthy, and Krispy Kreme is right there. But in reality, I think of Lucifer. You guys know that Lucifer, Satan himself, was the most beautiful creation, wonderful creation God ever made. He said, you are a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And Lucifer had a hunger. He had a hunger. He had this driving force within his mind. What was it? Well, Isaiah tells us in 14, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he said this. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This ambition was to be like God. A creation wanted to be the creator. He was hungry. But what was he hungry for? Power. He was hungry for power. He had this ambition, consuming ambition, but it was for power. And what happened? God responded, right? Just like there's consequences. And then in verse 15 says, God says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. Basically, God's saying, you will not realize your ambition. You will not be filled. You will not be satisfied. You know, just on the other day, I was watching some of the documentaries on history, and, you know, they found this king Nebuchadnezzar in Iraq, many ruins after him, the king of Babylon. He was one of the well-known kings of the ancient times. He built himself a beautiful empire. He ruled over many men. I mean, this guy... And every brick that they built, he put his name in it. And every brick says Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. That's how we know he exists, right? And he had this hunger. And we'll read about this hunger in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the royal dwelling of my mighty power and for the honor of of my majesty. I mean, talk about tooting your own horn. I mean, he wanted praise. He wanted praise so much that he was walking around praising himself. Lucifer was hungry for power. He was hungry for praise. And what happened? God reacted. In verses 31 32 says, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. But not only that. It continues in verse 32. And they shall drive you from men, and dwelling shall be with, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he chooses. Do you know what happened to him? 
really lost his mind. He went crazy, just like that. He was eating grass, acting like an animal. We also see in another example in the New Testament where we meet the rich fool. In Luke chapter 12, verses 17 and 19, it says, And he thought to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Tells us that he was possession hungry. He's hungry for all these possessions. Not only that, but really he was pleasure hungry too. But Luke 12, 20 says God reacted. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? They were hungry for the wrong thing. Folks, there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with this driving passion, hunger, desire, but it has to be for the right thing. And what's the right thing? Again, look at Matthew 5, 6. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first mark of a hungry person is he's on this deliberate quest for food. And you know, when you're hungry, and I tell my wife, at 10 o'clock at night, that I want a sandwich. I'm not interested, you know, who's winning the Olympics, right? You're not inter- when you're hungry, you're not interested about the flower arrangements for some pink lemonade society or something like that, right? When you're hungry, your focus is pretty narrow. You're interested in what? Food and water. And in your mind, you start like, hey, where can I get this food and water? I'm hungry, starving. And you begin this deliberate search for food. And guess what? Hungry people find some food. Good food or bad food, but they'll find some food. Hungry people are going to pursue food or thirsty people are going to pursue drink because they're desperate for it. They're desperate for it. Have you, anybody been to Cedar Point, Kings Island, or Disneyland, one of those amusement parks? I mean, you'll pay $10 for a hot dog, Right? $6 for a little drink, $10 for a bottle of water, a little bag of potato chips, five bucks. Why do they charge so much? Why, why, why are the prices so crazy? Because they know you're not going to go anywhere. Where else are you going to go? It's not like you have an option. And sometimes, you know, my dad says, you know, when he took us to those places, I'm not paying for that much. Oh, you will. You get hungry enough. You get those hangry kids, right? And $10 won't look so bad for a little hot dog. You know, a little girl said to her mama, it was already 10.30 at night, she was in bed, Mama, can you get me a drink of water? Her mama went and got her a drink of water. 30 minutes later, she's yelling again, Mama! She's like, what? Bring me another glass of water. So she brings her another glass of water. Tells her to go to sleep. Now it's 11.30, she's still not asleep. Mama! Bring me another glass of water. So she brought her a glass of water and said, if you ask me for a glass of water one more time, any of this water business, I'm going to get up and spank you. Fifteen minutes later, 
Mama, when you get up to spank me, would you get me a glass of water? A little girl's name is Stella. But, you know, when you're thirsty and you're hungry, you're willing to pay the price, right? When you're really hungry. I remember when we were kids, and Mama says, here's your lunch. You're like, I don't want that. I don't want this. You think my mama was like, oh, what do you want then? I can pre- She'll just say, you're not hungry enough. He'll be here when you, get, you know, when you get hungry. Just come on back. He'll be at the table. Because hungry people just want food and water. And how we do, the, the outer men depends on food and water, the spiritual men that we have depends upon righteousness. So what is righteousness? We often think that righteousness is something that we do. But in the Bible, righteousness is wrapped up, all wrapped up in one person. In one person. Jeremiah 23, 6 says, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians verse 30, says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. He's made righteousness for us. And when a man hungers, thirsts for righteousness, He's hungering and thirsting for the Lord Jesus Christ. And life's hidden hunger is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You may not know it. You may not agree with it. You may not understand it. But the deepest need of your life is to have the right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness of God that we are to be thirsting and hungering for. Well, sometimes people ask, well, Courtney, do you think it's wrong then for hungering or pursuing higher education? Is it wrong to have a better house for your family or build bigger barns? You know, there's a lot of rich people in the Bible, and they were blessed. I would agree with that. But you see, when... Jesus was asked this question, and he was talking about these things. And in Matthew chapter 6, eventually we'll get to it too. But in Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33, he says this. This is Jesus. For after all, all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But then he says in verse 33, but seek first. The kingdom of God. How do we seek the kingdom of God? Poor in spirit, right? We mourn over the sin. We become meek. And then what? We seek his righteousness. And what happens? And all these things shall be added to you. All these things, meaning your higher education, your hunger, high, high paying job, hunger for a better home, all those things will be added. There's nothing wrong with hungering for those things. And those things have their place. And what we need to understand, their place, is second place. Second place. 
but seek first the kingdom of God. God will not take a place to anybody or anything in your life. He is to be first in your life. He is the bread of life for our deepest hunger. He will not take second place. And a lot of people don't want to seek righteousness because they don't want those things to be added. They want to have those things first, right? And we forget what Proverbs 11.4 says. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. So you die, you'll take your riches, okay. All those things will not profit you. But righteousness delivers from death. And Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. Faithful man, you have to seek after righteousness. You'll be blessed with blessings. But those who hasten, who are in fast, who have this hunger to be rich, God says you will not go unpunished. And it's not just the believing world, unbelieving world that, you know, that does these things and we're Christians are so good and, you know, we don't seek, really. You know, this has hit our churches too. And the reason I say that, we have never had so many Bibles, so many different translations, versions, books on helping studying the Bible, right? Yet, there's little hunger and thirst for God. There's more receiving the blessing type of thing, more using God as a genie. But for the actual God, no. We search for power. Some search for exotic spiritual gifts, happiness, peace. But the deep desire, he says here, is righteousness, God's word. To master God's word and to be mastered by it. Job in 23.12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than necessary food. David, who valued the word of God, said this in Psalm 19.10, It is more to be desired are they than gold, even than much fine gold. And his word is also sweeter than honey and honeycomb. You know, I was just kind of reading up on this verse and commenting on this particular beatitude. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this and kind of stood out to me. It says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. And he's referring to verse 6. If this verse to you, one of the most blessed statements of the whole Scripture, you can be quite certain that you are a Christian. If this verse. If it's not, then you better examine the foundations again. And the reason I agree with that, because this verse speaks of hunger. Well, what's a hunger sign of? If you're hungering for righteousness, it's a sign of life right? Nobody has to teach a baby to be hungry. It just comes naturally. And if you're spiritually just have this natural, supernatural hunger, just, hey, I got to get to the Word. If you have hunger for it, it shows that you're alive. That's what Peter meant when he wrote in 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. 
So there's life because a dead man can't hunger. That's why a lot of people don't hunger for the Word of God because it's really they have the profession, but they don't have the possession. It's a sign of health. We all know hunger, your appetite, is a sign of your health. Your doctor ever ask you, how's your appetite? It's like, why is he asking? Because it could be a sign of sickness and other things if you lose your appetite. And we know hungry people are healthy people. So the principle is not only true for the body, but for the soul. Are you thirsting? Are you hungering? Is there this desire in you? Just like we can't live without food and water, you will never live spiritually without righteousness. And again, righteousness is not necessarily what you do. And Jesus saying here, this is the thing that man needs to make him happy. And anybody coming into my kingdom, anybody living in the kingdom, has this great appetite for thirst and hunger for righteousness. And again, I'm believing people have ambition too. They thirst for hunger, fulfillment. But they seem to find it in the wrong place. And Peter actually compares that to a dog who returns and looks up its vomit, doesn't eat nutritional food. And 2 Peter 2.22 says, But it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. The world is trying to feed on something that is not nourishing. And you know, when God created men, he put in his heart this hunger for God. Have you ever wondered, if you look on History Channel, whatever, why, like the Mayans, everybody's seeking for some higher being, right? Everybody, all kinds of generations, they had some kind of God or whatever. They worshiped the sun, the creation. But there's this hunger for something. It's perverted. But they all have this hunger. And the man tries to satisfy the hunger for God with false things. They eat garbage. The husk. Remember the prodigal son when he went away? They don't seek the bread of life because they think they're self-righteous. I'm a good person. But in Romans 10.3 it says, For their being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. In Isaiah, God says in Isaiah 55 too, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Well, what is bread? He's saying, why are you chasing these things? All these things, they're not bread. The Lord Jesus Christ is our bread. Your wages for what does not satisfy. We go after things that don't address the need at hand, Right? like eating a donut, seeking to satisfy. But donuts, though, they taste good, especially if you put it in the microwave a little bit. Mm. But they're empty calories. There's no substance there. You can't sustain your body. But Jesus says, I satisfy. I'm the bread. And John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. When you come to me, you'll never hunger. You come to me, you'll never thirst. Because he knew people were hungry and, would, and he offered himself 
and what we do. And what Jeremiah in chapter 2, verse 13, he kind of demonstrated this vividly. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me and the fountain of living waters and hemmed themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. They can't hold no water. We're trying to fill our thirst, filling up a cup that has no bottom, and we're drinking from it. God has made man with a thirst and hunger for him, but we refused to do that. And folks, sometimes it's sad to see people hunger and thirst for the wrong things. You know, they hunger and thirst for possessions, self-indulgement, pleasures, and they have their place. But then you see that they're still not satisfied. And prodigal son is a great example of that. You know, his dad's not dead yet. He's like, hey, can I have my inheritance? And I'm surprised the dad gave it to him. Like, can you at least wait till I die or something? No, but I want to go and start enjoying life now. So he goes out into the world. He had all these pleasures and so forth. And then he's hungry. He's feeding on the same thing pigs are feeding on. But then he comes to his sentence. He's, he's like, why am I doing this? He went back to his father's house. He says, servants over there are more filled than I am. See, we try to fill ourselves with pleasures of sin and later just absolutely empty. That's what happens with a lot of substance abuse, people that have drug issues. They want to get that happiness, but then it goes away. Then they have to get it more and more, and then it goes away. They're never filled because they're searching for this happiness that doesn't exist. And your appetite can never be, your spiritual appetite can never be satisfied. And we read about this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in this world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. Do you know what the food of Jesus was when he was on this earth? In this last verse says, he who does the will of God abides forever. Look at John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, none of that has any substance. It does not abide forever. So ask yourself this. What is it really that you're hungering for? Just analyze your past week. What were you hungering for? Possessions, power, feeding yourselves on husks maybe? Or we're looking to the real source. Those in his kingdom, you see, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
You know, in first, in verse 3, kind of talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about that. You know, you're morally bankrupt. You're, you're completely zero. You come to a recognition that before God, you, you stand naked, empty, and you feed out up. All the things that you have or all the things that you did or all the things you consider good, they still equal to zero. And that was followed by then mourning, blessed those who mourn. Yourself, you see yourself, you're broken over, produces repentance, not remorse. We talked about that. Then there's meekness, you become teachable. I'm nothing. There's humility. You realize that your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're empty of self and all those things, you become hungry. And that person who's in his kingdom only has one hunger. That is for his righteousness. Not our own self-righteousness because we know our righteousness is like dirty rags. So that's the progression here is simple. You're broken in spirit. You're overwhelmed with your sinfulness. You recognize the holiness of God. And you hunger for that. And I'm going to tell you, you may get upset or mad at me, but that's okay. You can apologize later. If you do not hunger for the thirst and righteousness, if you don't hunger for thirst uh, you know, or become thirsty for righteousness, I'm going to tell you, you're not a citizen of God's kingdom. You're not. That's why we need to examine ourselves. In 1 John 3.10 it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest." Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. In our society, we chase all these things. And as I said, you know, even though in our constitution we have that pursuit of happiness, but the way that happiness is defined is really worldly. Materialism, fame, and it's all usually because of greed, not because of our need, it's all the wrong stuff. And Jesus says, this is how you enter the kingdom. This is happiness. You're broke, you're mourning, you're meek, you're hungry, you're thirsty. But pay attention to all the responses that God also, Jesus, says in these things. You know, back in verse 3, it says, there's the kingdom of heaven, right? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The morning, they will be comforted. The meek shall inherit the earth. The hungry and thirsty, they shall be filled. Folks, if you think about it, it's really wonderful. If you sum up all that you get, folks, you get everything that there is, really. Did you know that? You get everything that there is. You're filled, you will inherit earth, you're comforted. That's wonderful. In other words, on God's condition, everything is going to be yours. And here's the point. Some of us are working so hard and breaking our necks trying to get the things that God wants to give us in the first place. But it's available as a gift. You can't just earn it. God's saying, why are you working so hard and get all this? 
Jews wanted, Jews wanted the kingdom. You know, they wanted to be set them free from Romans and so forth. They wanted to inherit the land so bad they could taste it. They were chasing all the wrong things. And the Lord simply says to them, you know what, I'll give you all these things. I'll give you the kingdom. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you every hunger and thirst you can satisfy. I'll give you the whole earth, give you the whole deal, if you just come on my conditions. Brokenness, mournfulness, meekness, hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And I think to me the whole thing, the key thing, is meekness. Because there's no pride, you're broken, you're teachable, and when you're meek, you just seek God's gift. And you know, in every example of meekness, and we kind of went over this, in the Bible, there's this underlying example or promise of God behind meekness. Remember, for example, Abraham we talked about. He was meek. Remember, they got the debate with Lot. You go here, you go here. Why did he just let Lot pick all those things? Because he knew behind all of it, doesn't matter where Lot goes, left or the right, behind all of it, there was a promise of God that everything is Abraham's. He's going to give it to him anyway. Remember David wouldn't raise a sword against Saul? He could have killed him and just took over being the king. But why didn't he do that? His army or his posse, whatever you want to call it, was with him like, hey, kill him, get him, stab him. He didn't do that because David knew he was the king. He was going to get the kingship anyway. If God promised it to him, why do I have to worry about it? In other words, the basis is God's promise, and once we believe God's promise, we don't have to try so hard to get all this stuff. So if God's promising us, why are we doing these things? You check our faith, right? So I read my Bible this way. It says, you're a child of God. You're going to inherit the earth. So why should I spend all my time trying to gain it now? It doesn't make any sense, right? I'm going to get it anyway. It doesn't matter what Putin thinks. It's mine regardless. I don't mind if some other people borrow it for the time. It's all coming back to me because of his promise. That's the whole basis of this motivation of the Sermon on the Mount, really. You enter God's kingdom, and you know it's always yours. And only it can become yours, not by you over there going and grabbing it. It comes through his hand. You know, Matthew 5.40, Jesus says this, If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic, let him be your cloak also. Why, why does he say that? You won't need it in the kingdom. You're going to have all that you need in the kingdom. And then he continues in verses 41, 42, says, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go two with him. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow, from you do not turn away. Now, we use, obviously, discernment. We're not going to give somebody for, you know, if they want to buy drugs or something like that. But we shouldn't be possessive. We shouldn't try to hang on to this worldly stuff because in the end, it's going to be yours anyway. It's going to be all yours. So don't try to grab onto it, share it. And when you have that kind of heart, 
you have the right ambition. You have the right hunger. Because you're saying, all I want is God is your righteousness. I want to be meek before you. I want to come to your kingdom on your terms. Because it's his promise. And remember, we also read last Sunday, and I'll read again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, all things are yours even here. In verse 21, therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whenever Paul, Apollos, doesn't matter who you are, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, things present, or things come, all yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. So when you come to a point of broken spirit, mourning, meekness, when we deal with death of self, it's painful. But there's that comfort. There's that hunger. You begin to hunger for thirst and hunger for righteousness. And once you enter the kingdom, you continue to hunger. I already hinted at that. It has to do with desire. And this great, intense desire continues to grow. Because I know when I came to Jesus Christ, I hungered and thirst for righteousness for God. But today, I hunger and thirst for him just even more now than I did before. Am I not filled? No, it continues throughout your Christian life. So if you're not hungering, as Martin Lloyd-Jewett said today, you need to check if you're really in the kingdom. And you know, John has a parallel message passage, and he adds the word now in Luke 6. Sorry, Luke, Luke 6, uh, 621 says, Blessed are you who hunger now. Well, if you read that today, blessed are you who hunger now. You read that tomorrow, blessed are hunger now. So it's really in the present tense and continuance thing. It's a moment by moment. It's a way of life. When you become a Christian, you don't stop. Listen, if there's not a hunger righteousness, again, there's a question whether you are in the kingdom or not. You know, we know the story of Moses, right? We could say Moses knew God. I mean, he met Moses in a blazing bush of fire. says, go get my people, Right? When he went and got his people, he had to perform all these, you know, plagues and so forth. He knew God. Then when they're finally out, you know, God was like a cloud by day, fire by night, and so forth. Then he goes up the mountains. God writes down with his holy hand the Ten Commandments. He brings those down. He knew God. But in Exodus thirty three eighteen, he said, I want to build a tabernacle. Moses says, please show me your glory. What are you talking about? Wasn't all those miracles all that glory enough? Water from a rock? Pardon the Red Sea? You want me to see my glory? Haven't you seen enough? But it's not enough. There's this unsatisfaction in the very satisfaction itself. You're hungering and thirsting for more. David is another great illustration. If we remember, if you think back to the study of Psalm 23, and if most of you know it, 
My shepherd I shall not want, right? And he says, my cup overflows, runs over. All those things. He knows God. He knew God. He'd known God in his life. God protected him. God cared for him. God guided him, directed him. He, got, he knew God on this intimate level. But in Psalm 63, verse 1, he says this. Oh, God, you are my God. But he don't stop there. He says, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Do you see that? It's not just like, hey, I'm a little thirsty. I'm a little hungry. He's talking about the thirst that you have. Kind of like the dry mouth I have right now. Thirst that you have, and there is no water. You've been without water. You're, you're thirsting. You're quenching it for more. We all know the story of Paul, greatest Christian ever lived. I don't think I need to talk about him much. But in Philippians 3.10, when it comes to the end of his life, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his suffering. What are you talking about, Paul? I mean, you were taken up to the 11th heaven and so forth. You were stopped on the road to Damascus. You know God. You wrote most of the theology. And there's this passion, this hunger that I may know him. It never ends. And Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. See, it's never enough. It's a tremendously intense thing and has no end. And folks, you should be hungering for him today. And you should be hungering for him tomorrow. And it's this thirst and hunger that continues. And you will not be satisfied or filled when you see Jesus, Lord Christ, face to face. And Psalm 42 tells us that. Psalm 42.2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. This hunger, he wants to appear already before God. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because happiness is the byproduct of righteousness. And the real happiness here is to be right with God. Now, I want to explain something because there's two points. First of all, there's salvation and there's sanctification. And for a lot of people, the reason I want to bring this up is things stop at salvation. You know, they live a sinful life, they go this way, they meet Jesus Christ, acknowledge him, they profess, put a little patch on Jesus' team, and then they just keep going. And they think they're saved. No, you're not. Because godly sorrow produces repentance. You turn around, you go the other way. So let's talk about salvation. Because when you're saved, you receive righteousness. Righteousness that comes to you when believe, given to you in Christ, that's how he sees you when he looks at you. And through his righteousness. It's a desire to be 
free from self and so forth. And many Old Testament passages, I won't take a lot of time to go into them, but many Old Testament passages even tell us that righteousness equals salvation. For example, in Genesis 15, 6, this talks about Abraham, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. Romans 4, 3 says, Scripture says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted him for righteousness. And in Romans 4, 6, we read, just as David also describes the blessedness of men whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. And if you read the books of Isaiah, you'll see the same thing. So we can say that salvation can be substituted for righteousness. So there's this hunger and thirst for salvation, beginning, and this righteousness of Christ is applied to you, and your sins are forgiven. But then there's this hunger that it continues. That's the second element that we don't think about. That's the sanctification. This just continues. Once you're saved, you don't stop hungering and thirsting. That's the sign that you're actually saved if you're hungering and thirsting. There's this increased desire, increased passion to live a holy life. That's the mark of a true Christian. We become satisfied with God, but we become more and more dissatisfied with sin. You see, Psalm 97.10 says this, You who love the Lord hate evil. So, if, folks, if you love life, you're going to hate murder. So, you love the Lord, you will hate evil. And the closer you get to the light, the easier it is to see the defilement, isn't it? You come to God, you're repenting of your sin, but as you go and you grow in your walk, you begin to more understand more and more how defiled you truly are. And the more you're satisfied with God, the more you'll become dissatisfied and substitutes of this world, including religious substitutes. Because true sheep, have no hunger for garbage. It talks about pigs. It talks about dogs. But the sheep have nothing to do with either one. And we are what we eat, right? Our food is to do the will of God. Just as we already read in John 4, 34, Jesus said that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So you keep hungering, you keep thirsting, desire more and more great purity in your life. And folks, again, I'm not talking about the perfection of your life. I'm talking about the direction of your life. We're all going to fall and stumble. But you get up and you keep going in that direction. There's nobody good except God. That's what the Bible changes. So we should never get to a place where we think we arrived. Paul writes to Philippians and says this, And this I pray that you love may abound still more and more in the knowledge of in all discernment. That means no matter how much you love, you can always love more. No matter how much you pray, you should be praying more. No much how you obey, you should be obeying more. No matter how much you think like Christ, you have to think like Christ more. 
There should be this consuming desire in your life. Blessed are those that keep continually hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And this hunger, this thirst, keeps going. And as I said, it only will get satisfied, your full satisfaction, when you get to heaven. And we read about that in Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. But when will I going to be satisfied? I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. Well, when were you going to wake in his likeness? After this life. When does he become satisfied? Never in this life. You can only be satisfied with all of it. You can't just be satisfied with a little bit of righteousness. So it fascinates me as I studied this because there's hungering, thirsting after righteousness, but it's kind of like commended, right? You hunger, you thirst. It's not, it doesn't say, blessed are those that possess righteousness. Blessed are those that continue that hunger and thirst. Because the Jews would say, hey, if possession of righteousness, we're righteousness, right, in our own eyes. In other words, the people who think they have righteousness, they need it the most. Just when think you're righteous, you're actually the most desperate. Because the blessing is for those who hunger and those who thirst. And in that same very blessing is the thought that you can never be fulfilled until you see him face to face. So what's the result? We talked about it. You're going to be filled. In Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God wants to make us happy, satisfied. Satisfied with what? Well, what are you hungering for? Hungering, thirsting for righteousness? Then you will be satisfied. Then you will be filled. You're satisfied, but yet you're never satisfied. You hunger and thirst, you're satisfied, but then at the same time, you're not. You get hungry and filled, and you say, it's kind of like eating potato chips, really. Can't just have one, right? Got to get in the bag. You're satisfied, but then you're not satisfied. You're satisfied. So when every day we go after his righteousness, do his will, and he fills you. So we read in Psalm 107.9, it says, For he satisfies the longing of the soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness when he gives us all the nutritional food that we actually need. And in Psalm 34.10, we read, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but not those. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. See that? First seeking the Lord, and all these things will be added unto you. In Jeremiah 31, 14, it says, My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. So a true Christian can't be satisfied with the things of this world. The true satisfaction comes for righteousness. The true goodness is in the Lord. Again, in John 6, 35, Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
See that? The Lord of our righteousness. He's the one that we should be seeking after. Yet, as we continue, you're also dissatisfied. There's this ambition, not for power, pleasure, possessions, but for righteousness. So how do we know if we're hungering for righteousness? And again, in Romans 7, and I was thinking about this, it says, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Have you ever prayed that way? Has anyone said that to themselves? I haven't, so that's why it's kind of a deep thought for me. Because in here, you're satisfied with salvation and all these things, but you are really dissatisfied with yourself. We may be self-righteous. You think everybody else is wrong, but this is the greatest Christian that ever lived. He says, I'm kind of dissatisfied with myself. Is there any sense of satisfaction that you're righteous, that you're good, you don't need to grow? Or are you asking yourself, I'm dissatisfied with myself. I need to get back to Bible study and so forth. I need to seek and hunger for this righteousness and pray to God that he sends that hunger and thirst into your life. Second, ask yourself, really, is there anything externally that satisfies you? Do you find or bear external things? They influence you how you feel? You know, there's so many people, as soon as the new iPhone comes out, they're the first ones in line. They want that new gadget. And then they become dissatisfied with it. They want to get the new gadget. Is there things in this world that really satisfy you more? As we read in Isaiah, they spend their money on what is not bread. Are you spending your money on what is not bread? Are you filling up your appetite with the wrong stuff? This hunger for righteousness won't be satisfied with anything else. You won't be able to fill it with anything else except righteousness. Because, for example, you can bring a hungry man flowers. Would that satisfy his hunger? No. You can bring a thirsty man something else, a pair of shoes. Will he be satisfied with those brand new pair of shoes? No. He wants water. So the only thing you can satisfy a hungry person with is food and water. And let me ask you this question. Do you have a great appetite for the Word of God? Have you ever watched a hungry person eat? Now I'm talking about like starving person. You know, sometimes when I work downtown and there's a lot of homeless people and they say they're hungry and I bought this guy some Wendy's, it was not a pretty sight. I mean, three seconds, the whole sandwich was gone. When you're hungry, you don't have to beg for them to eat. They're just going to devour it. And Jeremiah says in 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. Do you devour his word? If you're hungry and thirsting after his righteousness, you will have this great appetite for the word of God. Right? It's the bread of life. 
not cake on special occasions, as I say. You know, we take out the Word of God on birthdays or anniversaries. We send a card. We look up the word verse or something like that, right? Funerals. Just on special occasions. No, this hunger doesn't work like that. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, I can't come to the Bible study for this or I can't do this. I got this and that. Folks, you don't need to tell me that. It just tells me what kind of hunger you have. What are you hungering for? If you're really hungry for the Word of God, you're going to do it. And lastly, find yourself, is this hunger and thirst unconditional? And what I mean by that is, remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And he was telling him these things, says, I do all those things. And then he says, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and follow me. He says, well, I ain't going to do that. So by unconditional, I mean is it's, not, it's never Christ and something else. Do you understand? It's not Christ and my, I will keep my pride. It's not Christ and me cheating out of school or something else. It's not Christ and me lying on my business. There's unconditional thirst and hunger for righteousness. It's never Christ in something else, right? As just illustrated, a hungry man is not going to be, hey, I'm, I'm starving to death, but it's food and the suit. You don't need a suit, right? I have this thirst. I'm thirsty, but it's not going to be water and shoes. You just want water. It's nothing something else. And if you're a person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, as Isaiah puts it in 26.9, with my soul I desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. Spirit and soul has this thirst day and night for the righteousness of God. And folks, the reason I'm putting emphasis on this because life is such a fragile thing. And for some who say, I'll put my hunger and thirst aside, it may be too late. You may be like that rich man in Luke 16. In Luke 16, 24, he says, cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in flame. He has this thirst. And guess what? Today, he's still there. And he's still thirsting for that thing. And finally, there's a coming a time, and you need to realize this, and not pay attention to what's going around in our country and know those things, because there's a great tragedy that's going to come. And God says this in Amos 8, in verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine into the land. There's a hunger coming. Remember the famine of Joseph and his brothers showed up? But there's a different kind of famine coming. He says, not a famine of bread, not a thirst of water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. And in verse 12, he says, the most terrible thing that can happen 
They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. They would want to feel this hunger. They're going to be looking for it. They'll be walking around to and fro. They'll be searching for it all over the world. They won't find it. They won't find any food. You'll be hungry. You'll be thirsty. You'll be running around. And folks, I don't know how much of God you have today, how much you're hungering and seeking righteousness. But today you have all that you want, really. And you can have more if you want, if you continue hunger and thirst. And folks, we need to realize today is the day of salvation. You see, Satan is so clever. He comes and offers these pleasures. There's pleasures in sin. Don't get me wrong, right? That's why it's so attractive to us. That's what the Bible teaches. There's pleasures in sin. And the devil shows you those things, kind of going aloft life, and he says, hey, I got this, I got that. Remember, he was showing that even to Jesus. I give you all these kingdoms. And we get sucked into that. But what he doesn't show you is the price of those things. You think, if David saw the price of his adultery, he would continue? You think if Eve saw the consequence, she would have continued to eat the fruit? We blinded because we're just, we want it right now. By those things, we just want to satisfy it. We don't think about what it was going to do to me, what it was just going to do to my body, right? See those donuts? We're like, <laughs> and then you get on the scale, you're like, So he doesn't show you the price. Because if he shows you the price, you definitely say, because first of all, it's too high of a price to pay. And then you wouldn't want what you're going to get anyways. But what is the price of all these happiness? If you come on his terms, Isaiah 55.1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you, who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without a price. What a low price on heavenly things. You don't need money to buy it. The kingdom of God is free for those that place their faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point is, really is, if you want to be happy in life, you need to choose the bread of life. Otherwise, you'll be toast. The Word of God tells us in Psalm 32, blessed, and again, you can change the word, it's interchangeable, happy is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is he. I mean, you get a deal of a lifetime. No price, no money, come buy it. It's free. And I'm going to end with Psalm 44, verse 15. Because it says the people that are in this kind of state, happy are the people who are in such state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for, your, for our fellowship this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that takes these truths and kind of wraps them, them all around our hearts and help us apply them in our lives. And if this 
morning there's anybody in that fellowship that never hungered or thirsted for salvation, I pray that this will be a time, Father, that they analyze and look at these things and what are they truly hungering and thirsting for and what is the price? Father, by your spirit, I pray that you break loose in the hold of the sins, that they become broken in spirit, they mourn, they become meek and seek the righteousness that you alone can give. And as we leave this place today, Father, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.